evening, everyone. Thank you so much for the team, for that incredible time of worship and praise. My name is Sandy Hart, and I realise it's a while since I've been here at an undone service. But it's a privilege to be with you tonight and be speaking in, onto the, into this last topic of our supernatural experience. My topic is called beings. If you remember, though, right from the very beginning, Danny introduces to the idea that in the kingdom of God, when we are followers of Jesus in this kingdom, everything needs to become natural, part of our lives. However, I'm so grateful that our God is spiritual and supernatural. Spiritual just means real without a physical body. Totally real. And did you know that there's more to this earthly life than I can see. I can see the evidence of things unseen, like the wind, or love, or anger. I can't see the Trinity. I can't see the Spirit of God within me. I can't see Jesus on the throne. I can't see eternity. I can't see the etern uh, kingdom of God, or the kingdom of darkness, or the prince of this earth. Can I see the host of heaven? Can I see angels and demons? Just stay with us and we will discover some answers to this, these questions. But have a look at Hebrews 11.1. 1. I think this verse is really important. Faith shows us the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Lots of stuff we can't see, but the evidence of their reality is with us all the time. So I'm talking about beings. I won't cover all you know about this. There's lots of great resources, especially by the Bible Project. But stay with us, and I want you to discover that there's spiritual beings all around us, and they're here for us day by day. So, of course, I've got to go back to Genesis 1 and 3 to introduce the main beings in the story of God and in our story and in the story of the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1 to 3 are incredibly important for our foundational beliefs, and we go there a lot. And I invite you to keep reading there. But, of course, the first one we're introduced to is God. In the beginning, whenever the beginning was, God already was. Now, the word God in uh, Genesis 1 is in the plural. And as we read the scriptures, we just start to discover more and more about this God who created the heavens and the earth. The word heavens, by the way, is the same word for sky. And in their understanding, the heavens were up and the earth was down here, and stuff below, and earth here, the heavens, the skies. The domain of the spiritual beings, and that blue arc that we could call the clouds and the sky. As we read scriptures, I said, as you read, it unfolds more and more who this God is, but we are introduced to the spirit that hovered over the earth. We're introduced to the spirit who breathed into humans the breath of life. But I'm just going to leave that the main being is God. Secondly, in Genesis 
one, I'm introduced to what we call the host of heaven. I don't know what you think when you use that word or hear that. We don't often see it and it's not translated like that in our scriptures these days. We use other words. The host of heaven. Let me go to verses uh, 14 and some of the verses through to 18. God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days and years. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set the lights in the sky to govern day and night, to separate light from dark, and God saw it was good. So I'm saying the host of heaven here, the signs, the sun, moon, stars, the universe, the planets are there to rule and govern day and night. And, you know, in Psalm 148, I love this, because these illuminaries, these bright lights in the sky are there to worship God, but they're signs and they're rulers and they're part of God's beings. And so God calls them in Psalm 148 to praise the Lord. Praise him from the skies. Praise him angels and the armies of heaven, but praise him sun and moon. Praise him all you twinkling stars. Praise him skies above. Praise him vapors above the cloud. They're there to praise God. And uh, you know, it's also interesting that Paul wrote about creation, the sun and the moon and the stars and all of this as being affected by our sin and the sins of angels and demons. More about that later. And they're standing on tiptoe waiting for the second coming of Jesus too. However, Paul wrote this as well. He said, ever since the world has been created, we read about this in Romans chapter 1, he said, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can see his invisible qualities. They're signs, they're markers for us that there's a creator and a maker. They're signs of his eternal power his divine nature, so they have no excuse. We have no excuse for not knowing God. The trouble is, when we read sermons, Stephen's sermon in uh, Acts chapter 7, what we discover is that people started to worship the host of heaven instead of worshipping the creator. They exchanged the creation for the creator. And Stephen gives us a little bit of indictment against the people of Israel who chose to worship the sun and the moon and the stars, the host of heaven, instead of the one true God. And because of that, they went into exile. Listen to him in verse 42 of Acts 7. God turned away from them and handed them over to the worship the host of heaven, as it was written in the book of the prophets. So we're not to worship the host of heaven. The host of heaven worships God and is there as a sign and as a ruler to govern. So God, host of heaven, and thirdly we come to humans in the next part of the story. 
What a comparison. Dazzling, bright stars lighting up the world. And Adam and Eve made from dirt, the ground. Comparison. But according again to the psalmist, when we go into a song written to celebrate creation, Psalm 8 reads this, When I look at the night sky and see the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, the host of heaven, what are mere mortals or humans that you should think about them? That you should care for them. You made them only a little lower than God. You crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made. So I'm saying that humans have that extra special relationship with God because they were created in his image and crowned with glory and honor. Made to rule. Made to live in harmony with God. Harmony with others and harmony with creation. And because of that, God gave them paradise. A space on this earth where heaven and earth met and they lived in harmony with God there. We don't go far in the Genesis story before we meet the fourth being. It's called the crafty beast, the snake. But I have to go to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, to get the identity of who this is in this story. Revelation 12 reads like this. There's war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought the dragons, the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with his angels. We would actually call them demons today. But this beast, this crafty beast in the form of a snake is identified as Satan, cast out of heaven. And it tells us here and it introduces other beings, Michael and the angels, good and bad. We know about the human rebellion against God that the humans did, but we don't often talk about twin rebellions or the rebellion that happened in the heavenlies before the human rebellion. There was a rebellion in heaven where one of the most glorious angelic creatures decided that he wanted to be like God. In his pride and in his arrogance, he was cast out. And a third of the angels, or many angels, went with him. And this is what we call that first rebellion. This glittering angel, this brilliant one, Lucifer, the one who can appear as an angel of light, has lots of names. The devil, Satan, the prince of this world, or this earth, or this age. He's called the father of lies the deceiver, the accuser. And he is the one that stalks us. And he has a kingdom, kingdom of darkness. And it's from this kingdom of darkness that we who believe in Jesus have 
been rescued and placed in the kingdom of light. So just a little bit of a side here about our enemy, our enemy, uh, or our enemies, if you like, because Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 talks about a hierarchy of evil angels or demons. So listen to what he says. We don't fight against flesh and blood. I want you to know that another human is not your enemy. You don't fight them, okay? They're not our enemies. It may look like because we're easily deceived. But we do not fight against flesh and blood enemies, but against rulers, authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There you have it, a hierarchy. A great book to read about this, which is uh, fiction, but illuminating is a book by C.S. Lewis. Uh, I just invite you to read it. There's a hierarchy of evil powers. We're introduced in the older part of the Bible, in the Moses story, in the Exodus story, to Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. So that when Moses went up against Pharaoh, when his God told him to go, it was not just Pharaoh. It was the gods of Egypt. And our God made a spectacle of the gods of Egypt and defeated them. Then we come to Daniel, and Daniel talks about the prince of Persia, where Daniel had been praying for God for a big breakthrough. And Michael, an angel, comes and eventually says, or an angel comes eventually and says, I was sent three weeks ago, but it's taken me all this time to get here because there was a war against the prince of Persia and against Michael. And here I am now. So there are these enemies in earthly places today and I'm even going to suggest that governments and powers and nations, that cities that uh, authorities on this earth are in danger of being governed by the demonic powers of Satan, the princes of China the princes of USA, the princes of America the devil, the prince of this world, in control with his elaborate and strategic army fighting against the believers in this world. But there's good news, there's good news, there's good news. Isn't that great? Because we don't have to be afraid. In that same passage in Revelation 12, it says, Jesus overcame them. Jesus overcame. He defeated them. They're not yet totally destroyed but their sphere of influence is only this earth that is why he's called the prince of this earth cast out from heaven no longer has access to the heavenlies and to God and he overcome them and we too can overcome one because of what Jesus did his blood his cross his death because of Jesus and his forgiveness in us because of the word of our testimony, where I declare that Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my King, I am a citizen of God, I am a child of God. Because of what Jesus has done, because of the word of my testimony, and, wait for it, because I don't love my life first, Jesus is the primary one in my life. So that it becomes Jesus-centered, 
and others focused. It's not about me. It's not about mine. It's not about my kingdom and all that I have. That's how we overcome. But there are other beings, and we are introduced to another being in Genesis chapter 3, right at the end, the last verse. We're introduced to cherubim. These are hybrid creatures that are around the throne of God. The cherubim in chapter 3 are sent there to guard. It says it has flaming swords. To guard this heaven on earth, this paradise, so that Adam and Eve cannot go back in and have access to the tree of life. Their disobedience and their rebellion meant that they lost access to eternal life in Jesus, to the dominion of God in their life. They handed it over to Satan and the prince of this world. So they don't have access. The cherubim are there. We meet them later, not necessarily by name, but by description in the visions of Daniel, in the visions of Isaiah, Ezekiel, and in John, right in the last chapter, where we see living creatures, hybrid creatures, around the throne of God. And they are the leaders of worship around the throne. They worship, they sing of the holiness of God and all the myriads of angels and other living creatures and the elders that are there. They fall down and worship as these creatures, the ones guarding that throne of God. Cherubim, sometimes called seraphim. Read more about it. It's enough now. But we do know that there's angels. Angels. And uh, yeah, and this is probably where it gets a little bit difficult because, of course, angels are dressed in white with great big white wings, white glowing things with a halo. That's right, isn't it? Of course, you know that's not true, but that's how we present them. Let me tell you a story. I was lost, really, really lost in Istanbul. My very first morning there, after arriving at midnight the night before, I met someone quite early, and uh, she had to go off to work, and she gave me instructions of how to get back to where I was living. Remember, I arrived in the dark. It's early morning. She said to me, and I didn't really hear properly, she said, you find the fish restaurant, walk up the hill, and it's opposite the mosque, the place where Muslims worship their God. Fine, says me, I can find that. But I didn't realize that this, I had to walk along the Bosphorus Straits or the sea, the water. And it was one long fishing market. And they were selling fish. They were eating fish. They were fishing. And I thought, Okay, I'll look for the mosque because I can't find anywhere that's just a specific restaurant. And anyhow, the fish market was this side and I knew I had to go up the hill. I counted 13 mosques. I was lost. But I had a plan because you always have a plan when you forget to trust God. And I had a passport and I had some money and I planned that if I could get a taxi driver to take me to a posh hotel where they spoke English, I could ring up Launceston and say, where do I live in Istanbul? And then I'd have to trust someone, of course, to guide me there. But that was my plan. And as I'm walking, I thought, 
I need to pray and trust God. And I walked up and down saying, God, I do believe that you can find me and I can find where I live. So I thought, and I believe this was a God thought, that if I could find an English speaker, I could ask directions. I knew I was living with an American teacher of English in Istanbul. I mean, Istanbul only got 14 million people, okay? But I knew that much. Ah, so I found this man, businessman, dressed in Western style, very expensive car. So I felt prompted to go and say, please can you tell me where the English teacher lives, the American English teacher lives? And he said, I really, really have to hurry, but this man will show you. And he went, blah, 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 in Turkish. And so I trusted and followed. And he led me to the American's home who taught English in Istanbul. And I turned around to say, thank you, thank you. But he wasn't there. No one was there. Was it an angel dressed up as a poor Turkish man who didn't communicate me, but I followed? Was it an angel? To this day, I don't know, but I choose to believe it was an angel. It's written in Hebrews 13.2, and I love this. So I want you to notice this about hospitality. This is a great verse. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Psalm 103 says, well, what do angels do? So what's the role of angels? Basically, they're there to do what God wants them to do. They are messengers. That's what the word means, angel, messenger of God. They carry out his plans. They're listening for his commands to do what he says. Don't you love that picture? Hebrews 1.14 says, they're only servants. Spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. So do we have guardian angels? You know, to understand where this teaching came from, you have to go right back to the ancient world where they believed that God was so pure and holy, spirit, and humans were material, matter, sinful. So they needed lots of intermediaries. And so a great theology of angelology was developed. You can read about it. And from that, some of the early churches, church teachers started teaching about guardian angels or specific angels. But there's no consistent biblical teaching in scripture. And this is what I want to say to you. Angels are sent to minister to us. Angels are listening to God to do what he says. Angels are there to serve us. But look, what would you rather protect you? God, who has the hosts of heaven, the armies of heaven, myriads of angels who can come and protect. This is our God. He's the protector. He's the provider. Yes, angels do come and they do look after us and they are there in our world. In fact, I'm pretty sure if you had eyes to see, you could open them now and see angels and probably demons. Angels do his bidding. Demons do the bidding of the prince of the air. 
they are celebrating every time someone comes to know Jesus. We can't really say we have individual angels. They rejoice, they celebrate, they do what God wants them to do. So I just want to mention one particular angel, often called the angel of the Lord in the older part of the Testament and also in other parts of scripture. We talk about the angel of the Lord. Now, by and large, in fact, all the time, ordinary angels will never accept your worship. Even though you're stunned, you're amazed, they are okay to say thank you to you, but they will not accept worship. They'll always say, worship God, because that's their role. They've sent from God. But the angel of the Lord, as we read encounters in the older part of the Bible about the angel of the Lord, we discover that he did accept worship. So this tells me that the angel of the Lord, when he or she appears, it is God taking on some manifestation to be with us. But you know, there's no need to be afraid in this world. There's no need to seek out angels. We welcome them. We pray for protection. And it's okay. I'd rather pray to God than angels. But we can join the angels in worship. We can celebrate. But I want you to know that the beings, I've just done a basic introduction to the beings that we encounter day by day. There's no need for us to be afraid because remember, Jesus has defeated the evil ones. The Spirit of God lives within us. I can't see the Spirit. I can cut myself apart. I will not find the God, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus within. I won't find it, but it's real. It's real. And he takes on my body to live in this world. We overcome the prince of this earth, the devil, Satan, prince of this world through remembering and I am going to lead us into a time of, con of, of um, communion a celebration of what our God has done to overcome the evil and the evil presence and the evil beings in this world he shed his blood which was a strong message to the prince of this world that he would not and could not be defeated by Satan. He rose again and he laughed at the presence of Satan. You read that in Psalm 2. But the devil is still a presence in this world. But we don't have to be fearful because we too can, be, can overcome as we remember what Jesus has done for us when he died and his body was broken and his blood was spilled and when the word of our testimony, when we, the followers of Jesus, with our hope stories can celebrate who we are in Christ, knowing that the spirit of the living God dwells in us and when we remember that it's Jesus first, Jesus-centered, and others focused and we don't love our lives even unto death so I want you to see if you can find something to help you celebrate this communion time now I'm going to pray and I'm going to bless you 
and we're going to partake and celebrate this victory, the presence of God 